Imagine we were alive in Jesus's time, right? Like let's travel back in time. Where would Jesus stand in the line of privilege, right? Let's run it. He, he's a male and that was a male predominant, like the society was driven by males. He's a Jew, which was the preferred culture at the time. Jesus had a family and he also had like an occupation. He was a carpenter, so he wasn't just like roaming around the streets. In theory, Jesus would probably be somewhere up here, right? He'd be regarded as a pretty privileged person, minus the fact that he just took on the, like he took on the entire like system. But Jesus would naturally stand here. The real question is where did Jesus choose to stand. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. It's funny because like, when I think about what COVID did, there are so many uh, side effects, I guess, of this pandemic. And I remember last year in February, a group of friends and I, like we went to Hawaii. And I remember like just having a conversation, thinking about like the implications of what like COVID would do. Would kids be able to recognize smiles because everyone has been in a mask and things of the sort. One of the things I don't think we could have foreseen Uh, being a result of COVID were like the stringent racial tensions that emerged. And it's been about like two years. And I, like as a person, I'm like a slow processor. Um, So during like the, the time of COVID, seeing like all of these events occur, I took it in stride, but I didn't realize that it was gradually wearing on my soul. And then last year was just a tough year for me. Honestly, my friend Hazel and I, we joke about this all the time, where it's like, you know, you go through like hard years so that you can become the person like God wants you to become. At this point, I'm like, I'm quite literally over it. Like, can I just like, can I not struggle anymore? Can I be in a place of stability? But I've seen how God truly uses like difficulties to remold and remake us. So for me last year, I found myself in, or like within the last two years, just having certain conversations, whether it was about like race, whether it was about gender, love, body, the future that left me feeling so stripped of my humanity. And again, it was a slow burn. It wasn't just like one thing. It was things piling up over and over again that one day I woke up and I realized I am so burnt out. I am so tired. On top of that, I've been a part of Praxis for like the last four to five, four years. It's going to be five years this year. But I was a student missionary since I was 17. So Morgan and Tadine are here. Uh, those are two of like, just uh, Morgan and I, we were both a part of the same organization. One of my best friends from college and his wife, like we went to dinner this week with our friend Adrian and we were just telling him all about our missionary experience, like our mission experience. So I had been serving God and serving people nonstop since I was 17. And last year I realized I had burnt myself out. 
And it wasn't just that I'd burnt myself out. It was also like the, the added layers of feeling so unhuman, feeling so unseen. And the crazy thing is, if you, if you were here like around last year, I, there, are, there are weeks that I'm on stage like every week. Either I'm singing or preaching or doing something, but I would go home and feel invisible. I would wonder if people really saw me for who I was in the sense of like, did they see uh, my color and discredit me? Did they really hear my story? And as I go through these experiences, I'm certain I'm not the only one, right? Like I'm certain I'm not the only one that has this sense or like has had this experience of feeling dehumanized, whether it's by the words of someone or the silence of others. Because the thing I realized, especially during the COVID uh, experience when a lot of like uh, Black Lives Matter things were going on or hashtag stop Asian hate or all of these like really hot takes, like these, these issues that are so relevant, I realized my church, the Adventist church, was strangely silent. And the people that were talking, it's always the case, the people that bark the loudest, like they have the least to say. But the people who really can honor and validate the experiences of others strangely remain silent. And so as I went through that experience of feeling dehumanized, it became really hard to imagine or, under, or believe that some people around me or people in my church saw me as less than and that God didn't feel the same. Because we have that power to alter the way people, ha- like their, our pers- the way we treat others uh, affects the way they see God. Does that make sense? Like the way we, we engage with them really affects their relationship with God in a lot of ways. And so that was my experience last year. And for like, there are many of my friends in here that like I can, like you were there when I would have various breakdowns and explain the deepest parts of my heart. You were there when I decided that I had to step away from church because I'd done too much. You were there when I went through various existential crises, but to be fair, that's very much my personality. You were there, you were there walking with me through the darkness. But in the process of that, in the process of starting to question, why am I Adventist? Why am I Christian? Is God really? real and what is justice for the first time in my life I looked at my faith as not like I looked at my faith outside of my faith like I looked at it not as a believer not as someone in the Adventist church I just looked at it as a human and I think I learned some of the most valuable lessons that I've learned to date and in turn as I walked through this season of darkness with God, I not only became a stronger believer, like my faith wasn't altered and God wasn't distressed that I was questioning his existence or feeling like he didn't care about me. God was right there with me, walking with me through it. And by the end, I, or like where I stand today, I would like to think that I'm a better believer than I was last year. But more importantly, I'm a better human. So the thing about it is, is I, again, whenever I go through these experiences of like, oh man, I don't know what to think, I don't know what to feel, I don't know what to believe, I, I 
Stop for a moment and I imagine that there's someone else that is going through this exact same situation. However, they may not have the words to say it, like they may feel it, but I guess God has just been able to give me words to express it. So tonight, what we're specifically talking about is the art of honoring their humanity. We're looking, and this is very relevant considering we're in like Black History Month, but even more relevant as Pastor Phil spoke earlier about like the rate of people leaving the church and wondering why. I'm like, easy is because uh, this place isn't safe. In a lot of ways, this place isn't safe. So what I want you guys to do right now is take a second. Take a second and think about an experience that left you feeling dehumanized if you have one. Or take a second to think of an experience in your life that left you questioning the justice, the mercy, and the goodness of God. And while you do that, I'm going to call my friends up to help me. So if you, you should know who you are. But like, think about it. Just evaluate that for a second. Like just an experience that literally left you just feeling like, man, maybe God doesn't love me. And this can, of course, again, start with whether it's the words of someone, the silence of someone, the judgment of someone. I want you guys to reflect on that and hold that in your heart. So what we're doing now... (laughs) Okay, well, all right. One of the things uh, about my personality is I'm not really the type of person that's going to tell you what to do. Like, it's just not my thing. Like, do your thing, you know? I'll support you. But I am the friend that's going to be like, that's dumb. That's dumb. So, like, tonight's objective is not to tell you that you've failed. It's really to challenge you to, like, Look at something from a new perspective. If when we leave here, you think to yourself like, hmm, I can evaluate this in a different light or hmm, I can broaden my horizon. That to me will be a sign of success. So why are my friends up here? What we're going to do is a little activity, right? All of these friends up here, most of them I know deeply personally. Like I've had life-changing experiences with them. What I'm going to do is ask them a series of questions, They don't know the questions yet, but when the question applies to them, so if the answer is yes, they are going to stay where they are. If the answer is no, they are going to take a step back. Did I say that right? Yes, okay. Okay. (laughs) It's uh, it's flipped it? It's the opposite. You you guys remember what I told you earlier. Okay. (laughs) If it's yes, you step back. Okay, 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 my bad, my bad. Okay, so just so you guys understand one more time, I'm going to ask a series of questions. If the answer is yes, they're going to step back. And if the answer is no, they are going to stay still. And as I'm asking the question, I want you guys to also answer this for yourself. Okay, so the first question, and if they run into the piano, like, just like, go around it. Okay, the first question is this. I have been objectified because of my body. Hold on. Can we start again? Can you guys, like, be equal? (laughs) Because it only works if, like, you're at the same place. Okay, thank you. Okay, we're going to run that back. First question. I have been objectified because of my body. 
I have been overlooked or discredited because of my gender. I have been overlooked or discredited because of my race. I have been overlooked. Oh no, I read that. I have I have had the I've had to experience microaggressions in sc in school or the workplace because of my race. I've experienced microaggressions in school or the workplace because of my gender. I have feared for my life or the life of a loved one because of my race. I have feared for my life or the life of a loved one because of my religion. I have feared for my life or the life of a loved one because of my gender identification or sexual orientation. I worry about how I will make ends meet to provide financially for my family in the future. I have had a church leader or a sermon express something, be it an idea, a concept that left me filled with shame left, or left me questioning the value of my humanity. I feel like the church has done a good job representing and defending people like me. I can distinctly remember a situation that occurred which left me feeling less than a human. Can we give them a round of applause? Okay, don't move yet. Don't move yet. What I want you guys to see is this is a live action representation of privilege, right? And to be fair, privilege has taken on a very negative connotation in our society. And that's not entirely fair, right? Like my friend Eric here, who's also my business partner, we literally spent the entire week cooking and we hope for many more days like this. He stands at the front of the privilege line. Does that make him a bad person? Literally, no. I can honestly say that with all my heart. Does Philip, is Philip better than Renella because he's higher up? Does Philip have less issues than Renella? Does he, has he ever experienced pain in his life? Absolutely. Privilege doesn't say that you don't have a difficult life, like at all. And unfortunately, in a lot of ways, it takes on that tone. In as much as I'm saying, don't judge me just because of my skin color, something that I have no control over, why is it okay to tag that to him or to him? What I'm trying to do is extend grace to the concept of being privileged, simply for, for this reason. At the front of the privilege line, Eric stands to lose the most if the system changes, right? Because it already clearly benefits him. They stand to gain the most if the system changes. Eric has the most power to change the system. Because when you lack privilege, like you really don't have the influence per se. But they have more stories of suffering that if we were honest and authentic enough to listen to, we would gain deeper perspectives. Now, the final question to this is, 
Imagine we were alive in Jesus's time, right? Like let's travel back in time. Where would Jesus stand in the line of privilege, right? Let's run it. He, he's a male and that was a male predominant, like the society was driven by males. He's a Jew, which was the preferred culture at the time. Jesus had a family and he also had like an occupation. He was a carpenter, so he wasn't just like roaming around the streets. In theory, Jesus would probably be somewhere up here, right? He'd be regarded as a pretty privileged person, minus the fact that he just took on the, like he took on the entire like system. But Jesus would naturally stand here. The real question is where did Jesus choose to stand, right? He didn't choose to stand here. He went back there to the outcasts and said, yes, the system is in my favor right now, but I love you so much. I cannot be happy if you're suffering. On a grander scale, what is more privileged than being the son of God, right? When humanity fell, that's all on Adam and Eve, Jesus said, listen, uh, you know, they could suffer, they could die, uh, they can, but I would not be okay living in perfection if perfection did not include them. And that is our role as believers, right? That w all of us have different privileges. Hazel's in the back here. She's going to be a surgeon. She's going to pay for my life. Right? Make no mistake. All of them, all of these beautiful ladies that are standing back there are women of like virtue, powerful, intelligent. Same thing for the women here. This guy is a beast on the piano. I sing with him at Anthem, and I feel like that's just one of his talents. He has a story worth sharing. Every person up here has a story worth sharing, ir irrespective of their privilege or lack thereof. So the whole objective of this is two things. Privilege doesn't mean that you don't have a difficult life. It just means that like, if you can be honest and acknowledge your, your privilege, you can be honest and acknowledge your power to create change. You can be honest and acknowledge your ability to listen to the story. You guys can totally go, I'm so sorry. You can sit down. <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> You can be honest and acknowledge the ways that you can create change. I have privilege. I have privileges that some people don't have. And as I progress in life, I will gain more privilege. Therefore, I will gain more power. But the point of this was not to like highlight what some people currently have or don't have. It's to bring Christ into the conversation. The God who could, who could have literally just wiped out the world, started from scratch. None of us would have been the white. We wouldn't have existed. We wouldn't have known. But he said, I am here in perfection, but perfection isn't good enough unless the people I love are there with me. What a love is that? Do we have that kind of love in our hearts? Do we look at the, uh, like others with that same kind of compassion? This compassion that says, I cannot be complicit, I cannot be silent as long as there are people suffering. Obviously, we don't. Because if we did, I believe the number of people, young people that stayed in the church would be a lot greater. I think our generation is like really good at calling BS. 
Can you say that on the pulpit? Really good at just being like, no, no, we demand more. We want to, to live a life that not only serves God, but how can you serve God if you're not serving humanity when Christ is the prime example of condescension, of willingly stepping lower to make someone else's life better? That's what the cross is. And that, in fact, at the foot of the cross, every one of us are equal, Right? Like Jesus, when he died, when he came and sacrificed his life, he said, Listen, I know the world is going to be a sketchy, it is a sketchy place. And people will be judged for the color of their skin. They will be judged for their, for their uh, gender. They will be judged for their sexual orientation. But you know what I say? That when I died on the cross, I created all men equal. Every person in this room is made in the image of God. And honestly, I feel like it's time we start acting like that. So this is the thing that I realized in the throes of my like existential crisis. I realized in a lot of ways the church has failed us. Not just like Adventist church has failed us Adventists, but Christianity in general. In a lot of our upbringing, we were taught how to be good Christians, right? We were taught what it meant to, to keep certain laws and for us go to church on the Sabbath. And maybe we have a specific diet and dress but we weren't taught what it meant to be a good human. One of my favorite quotes from Ellen White says, the, the best defense of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. But here we are, like Alex said it, just an entire click. Like we, we just click off and we make ourselves in many ways better than others because look at me, I keep the 10 commandments, right? <laughs> But here, like for, like, for example, we live in Loma Linda. San Bernardino is right across the highway. What are we doing about that? And to the few that are, that's actually like, praise God for the work that you do. But here's the thing about the thing. The thing about the thing is, right, it's not just like going out and serving that indicates a true heart. Anyone can do that. Really and truly, justice and mercy starts within your heart. It is a silent work. It's not running around being like, everyone look at me, I'm absolutely woke. It is the work we do when we are honest with ourselves to be like, man, I'm not, as, I'm not like Christ the way I thought I was like Christ, and I need to go back to the drawing board. That's where justice starts. Justice isn't just marching in the streets. It's not hashtags and decals. I mean, that's a part of justice. It is. But truly, it's really challenging, challenging your preconceived notions. It's really looking at yourself and being like, am I, if I'm being honest, am I a little racist? If I'm being honest, am I a little homophobic? If, I, if I'm being honest, am I a little misogynist? Mm, but that's, those questions are like really hard to contend with because we get so high off the idea of being good Christians. But here's the thing that I've learned, and I think I feel like I learned this a lot from TikTok. Uh, the, <laughs> the concept of being a good Christian is not quite the flex we think it is, as the young people say, right? Like it's not, it's not, it's, an, it's a very niche, niche concept, 
Like no one walks around introducing themselves like, hi, my name is Izrika. I like to cook. Uh, I like music and I'm a good Christian. It's the idea of being a good Christian is only relevant to other Christians, right? Like I don't like, how do I, how, okay. When I was an undergrad, uh, I was getting my degree in biology and we would study night and day. So we developed kind of a lingo within our degree, uh, like to, to, to show how good you were at specific things. Like I remember Gen Bio freshman year uh, learning the Krebs cycle, oh, right? Gosh. I actually still remember the rap I created, like to learn it. But for a music major, if I said, I know the Krebs cycle, they would be like, and the point is. That, to me, is kind of the concept of walking around boasting about being a good Christian. It doesn't resonate to the world around us. Like, being a good Christian makes us proud, but are you a Christian to boast to other Christians, or did you start following Christ because you found a love, a love that you've never known, and you wanted to share that with the world? Those are the questions that I've, I've really started asking myself, like, um, if I were to be dropped in the middle of just like a crowd, would my behavior point them to Christ? Or am I only like, a like, do I only seem to point people to Christ when I'm around other Christians? I, I don't know if you're like tracking, if you're resonating with that. Essentially, what I'm saying is like, it's real cool to be a Christian when you're in church, but Jesus didn't call us just to serve the Christians, did he? No, he's like, go in the highways and byways, witness to all the people. I want you guys to turn with me to Amos, to Amos chapter 5, and we're going to read 21 through 24. Yes, no, I'm here, I'm here. Okay, and it says, I hate all your show and pretense the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offering and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your, oh, I, this is a different translation. E either way, you get the point. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. So in Amos, what's happening is the children of Israel, as per usual, are starting, like they're worshiping different idols, and they're taking, like in the verses before, it talks about them taking advantage of the poor. It talks of, about them manipulating justice for their own good. And this is God's response to that behavior. Like, quite frankly, I don't care about your hymns. I don't care about your ceremonies or your burnt offering. What I want to see is justice roll. And why I like this verse is because there are really two clear choices. Either we follow in the footsteps of God and allow just like be conduits of justice to this world. And again, justice doesn't mean like you're like you're the loudest or boldest activist. Justice really starts within your heart. Either we allow ourselves to be that or God will judge us for our silence and our complacency. So he's given us a choice. You'll be the means for justice or justice will roll on you. And I think that's a powerful, like that's a powerful, no, 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 it's not powerful. That's a scary reality that God is looking at me and saying like, hey, Ezrika, 
with the privilege and the, and the, the gifts I've given you, have you taken that and used it to oppress people or rather use it to build your ideal life? Or are you using it to show people around you that I am real? Remember that question I asked you about, like think about the uh, situation that left you feeling like God didn't exist or that God didn't care about you, right? It could be not getting into school. It could be a breakup, heartbreak. It could be the death of a loved one that's like sudden and, and, and really just like jarring. In those times when you feel the lowest, who was it that brought back the light to your heart? Was it a friend? Was it a sibling? Was it a sermon? Whomever it was, they were conducting or they were living out justice. Because what justice is saying is that you get what you deserve. And without the cross, we all deserve death. But when Christ came and died for us, he said that we deserve life and life more abundantly. And this is why I'm like, the whole point of this is a reframe. You don't have to, I'm like going to say it a million times because my personality is very clearly like, I do not care. I'll like scream it to the mountaintop what I believe, right? Like I, I'm very okay public speaking, but that's not everybody's case. I'm very okay writing a long message uh, on like Facebook or doing a TikTok telling people you need to change or like, here, consider this. That's not everybody's personality, but you don't have to do it my way to do it, to do it. Right? Like God is just calling us to live out the, like, the legacy that he started when he left heaven and came here on earth. He's calling us to do that. Um, I also want to, if you can turn to Isaiah 58, 1 through 11. This, 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 uh, these series of verses, like they hold the same weight as the ones from Amos. Um, and I'm just going to read it. It says, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my way and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteous righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. It's such the fast that I choose. A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of, the, of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? 
Is this not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And I'll stop there. Again, what this verse is saying is like, you guys with your ceremonies, you guys with like your your hymns and praise and worship songs, I don't care about that. If you're still oppressing the poor, if you're still being silent in times when we need to speak up, the fast I have chosen for you is to loose the bonds of the wicked, right? So I I want to, I'm going to read some things that like, uh, like I kind of realized during last year and as like, as they pertain to these set of verses that I've read. And if this resonates with you, what I challenge you to do is like really just think about the concepts that I'm going to share. Some of us are using faith and our works as a cop-out. We cling to these laws and rules to avoid doing the hard work of authentic introspection. We serve or we do service as a trophy or a litmus test that everyone can see to make ourselves feel good. Look at me. I'm doing it all correct. Look at them. They are not. I want to tell you guys, so I mentioned that I was a student missionary from the time I was 17. There was a time, I think I might have been like in my early 20s, where we were here in LA, like, so my organization was in Alabama, but like we would travel to different states. This is how come I've been to like just about every state minus like four. And then we do overseas missions as well. There was a time we were in LA. How many of you guys have heard of Skid Row? Yeah. So we were in LA doing like a a homeless feeding for the people of Skid Row. And, um, I was like in charge of the food. So we're cooking for hundreds and hundreds of people. And we also had a marching band. So I was in charge of like mapping the route so we would know where to go. It felt so good. We were doing such good work. But the thing about the thing is when we got down to like Skid Row and I had to get out the van, I was gen and I, I, I'm going to be honest about this because it was just like a learning lesson. I was genuinely repulsed. Like, I remember feeling so disgusted because everything was so dirty. And the people were so dirty. And I didn't want to touch them. But here I was, right? To the outside, I looked like such a good Christian because it was Christmas break. I didn't go home. I wasn't getting gifts. I was on the mission field. I was leading the charge at such a young age. Everyone and anyone would be like, oh, that, she's such a good Christian. But in my heart, I was repulsed. And what I ended up doing because I was in charge is I made it so I never had to leave the van. Because I was in charge of mapping the route, so I just kept it as like, I need to direct the crowd. So I didn't have to engage with anyone. And I remember going home and feeling disgusting. I remember this sense of like, what a hypocrite. How are you going to say that? Like you love the people of God. Like you're here serving everyone. Look at me, everybody. I'm a missionary. But when I'm presented with the reality of someone's human situation, I find a way to avoid it. I find a way to avoid eye contact because they make me feel so uncomfortable. They are dirty. 
I find a way to not touch them because what if I get something? This was years ago and I will never forget that experience because it was one of the times that I had to challenge myself to really look and be like, but Azrika, are you all that you make yourself out to be? To humble myself at the foot of the cross and like, man, God, you've got to change my heart. But that was very much a choice that I made because a lot of us encounter situations that challenge our biases and preconceived notions. And instead of being honest and authentic enough to challenge them, we find ways to do what I did. We stay in the van. We like avoid it at all costs. And then we use like faith and gospel to isolate people like mm, they're not doing it right. I'm, I'm religious, so I can't support that. When the truth is we just never were authentic and honest enough to explore our own darkness. Because that's what it comes down to, isn't it? That as long as we convince everyone around us that we're good enough, that we're Christian enough, that we love God enough, maybe we can avoid being honest about our failures and flaws. The fact that I lie, I cheat, I no, I was going to say I kill. We don't kill. <laughs> Do not kill. <laughs> the fact that I, that, I'm, that I have all of these things that I hold against humanity, that I prefer people that look like me, that I judge people based on their body type, that I make assumptions based on their gender, that I'm indeed selfish, that if I were in Bible times, I would probably be Peter. I would deny Christ when it came down to it. That if I weren't black and a woman, maybe I wouldn't be as much of an activist as I am. Right? Like these real hard truths that I think we are so afraid to contend with. And that is what justice is. That is what it means to honor somebody's humanity. It's to sit with them in their pain, to listen to the stories of people that go through the things you'll never go through. When a black person speaks about their experience, listen. When a woman speaks about her experience, listen, especially if you're just, if you're not in that community. It is not wrong actually to have grown up with certain biases. That's not really your fault. That's just the way you were taught. What becomes problematic is when you are faced with the opportunity to change and you choose otherwise. That's what speaks about you. That, that, that shows the truth of your heart. Again, back to the analogy, anal or like the, the, the little thing we did up here where we talked about privilege. You are not wrong because you are privileged. It is not your fault because you grew up in a well-off home or with two parents or your skin, like you're white or white passing or you're male or you're a woman of power. None of that is your fault. It's really at the end of the day what we choose to do with it. Do we choose to fight for the weak? Do we choose to honor people whose stories and journeys are different than ours? Like I, I don't think that you have to agree with everything I do or I have to agree with everything you do to honor your humanity. Like, for real, for real, like, uh, I probably wouldn't agree with the way, like, most people cook their food. But do I go around telling people they can't eat because they don't use my spices? No, that's weird. But, like, like run that analogy with humanity. Like, I don't agree with this lifestyle, or I don't agree with your choices, so you don't deserve to have certain rights. That's exactly what we're doing. 
Weird. It's really weird. Let the people eat. Honestly, uh, like most of my guy friends would starve to death. (laughs) But that's what we're doing to humanity. And another thing we do is we take issues of, of preference and turn them into issues of morality. Like, I don't know if you grew up in a conservative home, but maybe you were taught, like, if they wear jewelry, they don't love God. If they're not eating the special K loaf, they don't love God. So we turn it into like an issue of morality, but issues of morality, we turn to issues of preference. Like children are dying in cages on the border. I'd prefer not to get involved, it's too political. People are being killed on the streets because of the color of their skin. No, I'm gonna stay out of this. I prefer not to be involved. But then we judge people for the most insignificant things. The, the whole gist of this, really, the whole message, and I, I actually struggled a lot with like making this sermon, and I also used none of my notes. So like, there's a lot more that I had to say, but it just didn't work out. But I think you get the point. Whole, the whole like point of this sermon is like, for me, I felt it so clearly, just the, the moments my soul died. And I'm a person that I really love people. I like want people to be happy. I want people to be healthy. But being around someone who refuses to do the hard work it really is the most draining thing. And this is why people are leaving the church because we are tired of the pretending. Tired of people who take the name of God in vain, not by being like, oh my God, but by being like, I'm a follower of Christ and then they live their life exactly the opposite. It is so draining for your humanity not to be validated. Each one of you, have the power really to rehumanize. Like if dehumanizing someone is the most like damaging thing you can go through, where you feel just stripped of your value and worth, rehumanizing then is one of the most beautiful experiences you can have. I think Amber said it, where she was talking about like her girl uh, Bible group, and Kelly says this all the time, like everyone wants a boyfriend. but I think you need girlfriends. Like, like as a woman, there is a power, and you guys, I don't know, you guys, the men in here, you can powwow and decide on, but like, as a woman, I'm telling you now, the reason last year, the reason I made it through last year was because in those seasons when I felt stripped, God placed the most beautiful women to rehumanize me. To, to rewrite the narrative, to remind me of my worth, to remind me of my purpose and calling. And that's justice. That's mercy. So no, you don't have to be out here preaching or like marching. You don't have to do anything grandiose. God is very often not, he doesn't care about the grandiose things, the showy things. He cares about the contents of your heart in the silence of the night. When he speaks to you and you listen, I'm going to ask the band to come up because uh, I think I'm like really over time. Um, yeah, so, so something, two concepts that I, I love because I really love like when science and faith intersect 
The first being the concept of neuroplasticity, right? And that essentially tells us that our brains are designed to be, to be rewired. Think about your mind like a library book or like a subscription. If you don't renew it, it will become outdated, right? And there's a verse in Romans where it's like, it talks about the renewing of our minds. Many of us grew up believing certain things about certain groups of people, thinking this was wrong, thinking this was right. And maybe you feel like, how can I even change that? Well, God, in his phenomenal design, created our minds to be able to like, re, like neuronal patterns can be created and recreated. It takes going out of your comfort zone. It takes being honest enough with yourself. Last, oh, last week, like Kelly and I went out for my birthday and we started talking about like her parents' childhood experience in their country. And as I sat there and listened, I remember thinking like, wow, I've never known someone who like knows someone who's really been truly oppressed because of their faith. And as she was telling me, I felt my, I, like I started questioning myself, like would I be able to do what her parents and family did if it came down to it? My mind was, be, like the narrative in my mind was being rewritten. Another beautiful thing about neuroplasticity is we have the power to help someone rewrite the darkest stories of their life simply by listening and honoring it by hearing them out and validating it. This is God's design to keep us growing. Physically, we grow without an issue. Like I don't have to tell my bones to grow. There are hormones and genes and stuff that take care of it. But God kept it so that mentally, we grow only when we put in the effort. It takes hard work. Some of the most awakened people I know, they didn't get there overnight. They fought for that. They fought to love. And now they are allies. They're able to look at someone's humanity and say, yes, your path is different, your story is different, but you, you are made in the image of God just as much as I am. And you, you deserve to be seen to be known and to be loved. And the second concept I love is that of a solar, uh, an eclipse. So again, I really love like the night sky. I love science. I love like nature kind of things. Um, we all know what, uh, what rules the night, right? It's the moon. The moon helps guide us in the darkness, so to speak. But the moon doesn't generate its own light. The moon gets light from where? From the sun. Ever so often, while the moon and the sun and the earth are doing their thing revolving around each other, the moon can get in the plate like between the earth and the sun, and it will cause to like total blackness, an eclipse. Fun fact, uh, an eclipse happens in the world every 18 months. It's irrelevant. But now you know. Why I think that's significant is the reason the moon can do this is while the moon and the sun look like they're the same size, it's actually four, the sun is 400 times further than the moon and 400 times larger than the moon. 
So it just so coincidentally happens, but I think it's maybe God because he likes to speak through nature, that the moon resembles the sun enough in location and size, like the distance of the moon in relation to the size of the moon and the placement of the moon between the sun and the earth, that it can block out the light of the sun. Let me make it make sense. We being made in the image of God are similar enough to God that we can eclipse God's light from someone else. We can get in the place of God's light. Of course, with like a total uh, solar eclipse, like it only lasts for a moment. But consider the implications of being a person who refuses to grow, who refuses to challenge your biases, who keeps your circle similar enough to you so you never have to feel bad about your ideals. It's literally death in life. You do not know the wars you start with your words and your ideas. Belief is contagious. If you tell me something enough times, as much as I'm going to try to fight it, I'm going to eventually believe it. And if enough people say it, we will all believe it. Belief is contagious. So ask yourself this, with your actions or inactions, with your words or your silence, are you eclipsing someone? Are you blocking the light of the sun from someone's life right now? Or are there ideas in your mind that really need to be challenged? Need, they desperately need to be challenged. Not just so you can like walk around being like, I'm super woke, my goodness, oh, I'm the wokest. But more so that you can love people in the way they deserve to be loved. At the end of the day, the goal isn't just to be a good Christian. That's a beautiful thing. It really is to be a loving and lovable Christian. But for what it's worth, you can't be a good Christian if you're not striving to be a good human. That's what my sweater says. Be a good human. And I think that's just the gist of this message. This one is, I think, more visceral and hopefully a bit more challenging than like my typical whatever. I hope that we can all like really sit with ourselves in the days coming and ask, God, renew my mind. What about my mindset towards others needs to be changed? In what ways can I be more authentic? In what ways can I be more loving? Because again, like Amos tells us and like Isaiah tells us, he's so not concerned with our services and our prayers and all and like our traditional worships he's concerned with our love for others hey thank you so much for joining us for the night church podcast we really are excited for where we're going and you can help us in that mission there's a few things that you can do number one is just stay connected so if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at loma linda university church follow us on instagram at praxis ministry and then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. 
and make such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.